0: Thank you for taking time out of your day to Join us on the curbside as we waste a little more time in the garage with Jim Cherry, noted author, illustrator, and columnist for all things automotive, and Tony Barthel, publisher of the Curbside Car Show Calendar. Let's head to the garage and see what's going on this week on the curbside.
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure, honor, and a privilege to be with you once again here on the curbside, as well as being here with you. I'm here with my good friend, all the way from Southern California, Mr. Jim Cherry. Hello, Tony in NorCal.
2: How are you up there?
1: I am doing well. Well, last week, you may remember that Jim and I talked about what was in our own garage and and in my opinion we had some pretty cool stuff we had Cadillacs we had Nash Airflights we had some really cool stuff but we are just but humble servants of this audio format called podcasting and the truth in, in in how and why we are who we are will come out in this week's episode as we discuss some of the cars most completely berated in the media and they were
2: ours. However, I have to say neither of us owned a Pacer no, nor, <laughs> nor a Gremlin, although I love those cars, but yeah. they are they are controversial, that's for sure.
1: True. I would own a Pacer in a heartbeat and a thing. I'd buy a thing. Oh, me too.
2: I, I freaking uh, almost did buy a thing once. I was looking desperately for one. I just loved those cars until I drove one. Oh really? (laughs) And they're they're kinda, you know, when they get older, like a lot of Volkswagens, they're just kind of slappy flappy, kinda loosey goosey.
1: Well, it's a four-door convertible.
2: Yeah, it just wasn't really substantial enough feeling for me, you know, at this point in my life. When I was maybe when I was twenty I would have liked it.
1: Oh man. Well, I'd still buy one and a pacer.
2: Oh, pacer any day, man. Yep. Forget about it. Talk about using your AC. That's for sure.
1: (laughs) I'd want to hang fish in the back window. But not real uh, fish.
2: Why? So you could cook them back there? You mean? <laughs> Just in the, so it looks in the like sunlight? a
1: fishbowl. Because it is.
2: <laughs> They'd be pretty crispy pretty quick with all oh the sunlight. My God. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If it was you real know, I, fish. pew.
2: There's one thing I wanted to add. I own two 40s Chevys that we talked about in the last episode. And I left out the best thing about those cars. And that is that old clatter and splash stove bolt six cylinder Chevrolet engine that those had. That was an amazing power plant, That I think Chevy introduced it in the early 1930s. They were still using it when they brought out the Corvette in 1953. The Corvette had that engine in it kind of hopped up, but it was the same motor in my 1940s Chevys that I had. And that thing was indestructible. Both those cars, I was a kid. I never maintained them. I never changed the oil. I never did anything. They never failed. Never gave me a problem. No, they,
1: they were good. However, I had, a, I had a friend much later and not with that engine. And his parents owned a clothing store. So they did okay in those days. And they bought him a GMC pickup. And at one point, it wasn't running properly. We asked, well, when was the last time you changed the oil? And he goes, well, why would I have to do that? Where does it go? <laughs> so at 30,000 miles or so, he got to buy a new engine. <laughs> So, well, without any further ado, let's talk about some of the other cars that graced our garage. Uh, Here we go. And graced
2: might be a strong word for some of these cars, but take a listen and see what you think of our lesser car purchases yes you went to something a little rear engine yourself there i guess Uh, yeah i
1: did but before that my my sister having you know we as i said i made some pretty decent money flipping cars so we decided to go in together and and bought a 64 mustang which was literally the biggest piece of junk on the planet not because it was a mustang i think mustangs are awesome but this particular one had neither been cared for well nor driven properly nor ever possibly been maintained and it had been in an accident oh boy yeah it was a it was a hunk of junk but it was a project well we you know fixed up this and fixed up that and uh one day the when you put the it had the floor shifter and when you put the floor shifter in drive the reverse lights came on well that's an easy fix you just take off the the bezel there and you adjust uh the reverse light switch basically and i had it in reverse and And a friend of mine came over and said, oh my God, this is the worst piece of junk I've ever seen. Does it run? And I said, of course it runs. It runs, it had a 289. So it was, you know, it had potential, I think. Well, meanwhile, this was the early 80s and my neighbor had just waited eight months for a pontiac phoenix and this was the day it arrived so he pulls up in front of his house and parks in front of his house on the street there and gets out to show all the neighbors and meanwhile here i am with the mustang in reverse and friend comes up and says, does it even run? I had a screwdriver in my hand, and I said, sure, I don't even need the key. Watch this. And I jumped the terminals on the solenoid, which started the car in reverse, heading oh towards that Phoenix. Oh, boy. <laughs> and there it went. And my first inclination is to grab the grille of the Mustang. Well, that didn't do any good. It's, you know, 289 in reverse. And there it goes, chugging away towards the neighbors. Oh, wait a minute. You
2: were so You started the car, and you weren't... In the driver's no, seat? No, because
1: I was under the hood. I started it with... Oh, I didn't with, realize that part. Yeah, I jumped it with the screwdriver across the solenoids. Oh, so okay. it just fired up in reverse. And off it went all by itself towards that Phoenix. Oh, <laughs> so nice. So fortunately, my, as I said, the neighbor was showing everybody this new car that he had waited eight months for. And my sister was among the many googling this thing and... She literally jumped in the car and put it in park, and it was about an inch from that Phoenix. Wow. That was a day for brand-new underwear
2: for Tony. And a free lunch for your sister.
1: Yeah. Man, yeah. I'm still grateful that she did that. Wow, so cool. And it was good timing. So that was, the. I think, the (laughs) funny thing about the Mustang is we finally agreed that it was kind of beyond hope. So we drove it to a car dealer. My sister needed a car. Uh, We drove it to a Ford dealer and bought a fantastic mercury lynx for her and when we left the lot they tried to start the mustang and move it and the engine had frozen up in that moment so wow they called <laughs> they, they they knew a lot of bad words <laughs> it turned out right yeah
0: what are you doing messing with this old biplane i'm
1: gonna sky write so i can tell everybody that they can post their car show and vintage trailer rallies on the curbside car show you calendar you don't have to go
0: anywhere they can do it right from any smartphone or computer. The plane can stay here on the ground. No way! Watch this! Everything is misspelled! Where's the spell check on the plane? My husband is insane. But curbside.tv is a great place to get the word out about your car show's vintage trailer events and read great stories about vintage cars. Uh,
2: where's the duct tape? The Linux car was a was also a compact kind of sporty car that's gotten a lot of bad press over the years is pretty much condemned as one of the worst Chevrolets ever and maybe a little bit unfairly at least the styling on it was impeccable it was a gorgeous little car uh, much better looking than its competition and that was my 1973 Chevrolet Vega GT Coupe Ooh. these cars are famous for having engine problems and being prone to immediate rust before you drive them off the dealer's <laughs> lot, yeah. And they, you know the, the joke is, don't worry about the fact you got to wait around in the dealership for the new engine to be installed. They can also put on the new fenders at the same time. Oh, man. But in my case, I have to say, you know, I was in Washington State where they don't really salt the roads. But in any case, I never had any rust problems. The car always ran perfectly. I never had one issue with the car. I only had it for maybe a year, year and a half. Wasn't a long time, but the car was it performed impeccably. There was just one thing that was mysterious about it. And that was this. It was painted a beautiful dark brown metallic, popular 70s color. Uh-huh. The interior was kind of a camel colored or a lighter, you know, kind of butterscotch vinyl type look. And I noticed after I'd driven the car for several months, all the rub wear areas on the dashboard and different areas on the interior were changing color. <laughs> and I go why is that wear area it's there's there's like it was green or something coming through and I took it to the, to a dealer and I said what's going on with this car and they go oh someone has changed the interior color of this vinyl oh geez who knew you could even do that Wow. but it turn, turns out there's special paint made that's very happy going on to vinyl and it stays flexible and it's totally convincing and it even wears pretty well that will change the color of the vinyl so I couldn't. I hated driving around with those spots showing everywhere where it was wearing to a different color. And so I was an airbrush guy. So I got my airbrush and I found the proper vinyl paint. And I would just go in there and airbrush and retouch it up. That's pretty it wore cool. Off. <laughs> 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 but to this day. I can't figure out what was going on. Why did somebody do that? Was the whole car repainted and and changed color? Was it a stolen car? Had it been totaled? I couldn't figure out why somebody would have gone to all that trouble to change the interior color. uh, It's a very strange case. But selling that car was also interesting. Uh, It was at the point where they were getting a bad reputation and you couldn't move the car. And I wanted to get a, a Honda Civic, so... I put signs in the car, and I'd go up to the park and wax it where people could see it. It looked beautiful. It had the GT wheels, and it was that nice metallic brown. And uh, this young guy, uh, family guy, comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, uh, I'm interested. I think I'd like to buy your car." And I go, "Well, great. Here's all my information." He said, "Well, I got to get my financing together." And I said, "That's super. Let's talk when you do." And that was it, la da And nobody, that was the only person that ever responded to my advertising or the sign I put in the window or anything. And I never heard from him. Huh. A couple months went by and I go, wow, I guess I'm just stuck with this car. Literally three months later, he calls me up and he goes, hey, I got my financing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, a Vega, car- so you probably still have it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. I go, great. And he bought the car for my asking price and I was... Home free! Wow, that, that only takes one. Yeah, <laughs> it's just strange. Huh. But you had a you had a Corvair, I thought. Oh,
1: some... I had a bunch of them. Um, my favorite, I it's there's two that are my favorites. My possibly very favorite was a '64 Corvair van. I went okay, so I went to the Pomona swap meet and had money in hand looking to buy a vw thing because i thought they were super cool and they were still really inexpensive and very affordable and of course parts are a dime a dozen for those which is one of the many good things about old Volkswagens. well there were really no things at the At the swap meet, but there was a Corvair van. There were actually two, and one of them had been outfitted as a camper. So it was the Corvair van, the Corvan, that somebody had installed the Riviera camper kit. So it looked like a VW camper of of the same era. Nice, yeah. And apparently it was a a guy in Reno who dragged his family all over the U.S. in this thing, and and they camped in it and all that. And uh, then I bought it from the second owner. No, I bought it from the third owner. The second owner still had the title and I had to drive to Pahrump, Nevada to to get it. I finally wow. it was it was a mess. But anyway, that thing it was cool because you'd go to a car show and you had a place to sit back and have lunch because there's a little dining table in there and and if you got tired, I took it to the drive-in movies one night and I'm not much of a late-night person, so I fell asleep in the bed. It was it was neat. I loved that <laughs> car. That's great. Yeah, it was great. And uh, and then ultimately, I had sold a resort that I had, and so I, I was going to move to a small house. So I sold off all the Corvairs, and that was one of them. And I, I now look back at that and think that was the dumbest thing I ever did.
2: Those Corvairs are extremely uh, rare.
1: And they're neat. They're, I enjoy driving them because you're sitting on the gas tank ahead of the—you know, it's a cab forward, and you're sitting on the gas tank basically over the drive wheels and and it's fun one time though I'm driving and I had always had some brake issues with it so you know you fiddle with it and think it's fixed and no not this time I'm driving down the road and up here there's a street that's basically highway speeds but of course they put a stoplight in it so you're moving along at 50 miles an hour or whatever and the light turns red and i stepped on the brakes and all that happened was i said a lot of bad words because i went through that red light at full speed just thinking god i hope there's nobody on the side street wow yeah i i completely replaced all the brakes after that good idea tony yeah yeah and then I also had a 61 Lakewood, which is a station wagon, and I sold it, and it ended up going to France. And the guy who bought it is a friend of mine, and I see it on his Facebook page now and again there in France. So
2: Very that's cool. Of course, trippy. the Lakewood was the little Corvair station wagon as opposed to the van type uh, core van
1: right yeah it was a little wagon and it was a real really well packaged car I mean the engines under the load floor and you could fold the seats it it's a, it's almost as if it had no engine at all it was such an efficient piece of packaging
2: very similar so. to the Volkswagen Squareback, which had the same setup with the rear engine in a little station wagon and then a platform on top of the rear engine that gave you a, a luggage space just like a regular station wagon in back.
1: Yeah, and that's those are the cars that my parents had. I we had squarebacks. We imported one from Germany in '65, and then we uh, then we bought a new one in '71. Yeah, I, I
2: made a fateful trip in one of those once that belonged to a friend, but that's another story. Yeah, uh, did you? Uh, I was curious. Have you ever driven a Volkswagen microbus so you could compare it to the Corvan in terms of driving experience?
1: I, I never have. I I would love to drive one to see what it's like, but. I have yeah, they're,
2: not. They're very fun to drive because you're right there. Yeah, <laughs> you're the first one at the accident scene. <laughs> yeah. But uh, not so safe. Well, I guess that's pretty much the end of my interesting car history. After that, I've just been kind of uh, practical about things. But uh, how about you? Is yeah, there anything else? Pretty much. Those are the those are the fun
1: highlights from my. My car history uh now i have no vintage cars which is kind of a crying shame so i intend to rectify that but i don't know what i i do know what i want i just my budget won't allow for it Uh,
2: a lot of us have that problem yeah your budget will not buy us a good car no Right? Darn it. We need a curbside,
1: like a special classic car, like maybe a 1960 Chrysler New Yorker pillarless hardtop station wagon with a push-button automatic transmission. Think you of know.
2: it as a write-off. All you have to do is put a magnetic sign on the
1: side and you've got a write-off. Absolutely. Except, you know, they're, they're pricey.
2: Oh, yeah. But anyway, well, thanks for sharing your car memories, Tony. This was fun to learn about your Misadventures? Yeah, yours too. I mean, especially the ultra
1: car. (laughs) Despite our best efforts, we do still have two additional questions for the infamous Dr. Head Gasket. So, without any further ado, or the emphasis on the do, we have a question from Man on a Mission in Duluth, Minnesota, who says, I have an 8-track stuck in my dashboard. What do you suggest?
2: What do I suggest?! I suggest you donate that crate somewhere. <laughs> somebody? Are you kidding? What century is this? Maybe you get a horse and buggy. I don't know. Walking will slim you down for bikini season. Try that. Oh, we we just suggested
1: that somebody walk on an automotive podcast. That's 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 good.
2: Well, this
0: loser needs to get out of that car. <laughs>
1: oh God. If people could write in letter bombs, I think. They might. All right, our next question comes from. Let's do it in Portland, Maine. Despite my best efforts, crabgrass continues to crop up, ruining my beautiful lawn. What can I do?
2: Move! You idiot! It's the only solution. You can't get rid of that stuff, crabgrass. It's a curse. Hey, I got an idea. Maybe you could t- talk roommates with the guy who has the loose lug nuts. <laughs> something i don't know i can't help
1: you oh man well that was some uh yeah so there we go if again you're welcome to write into dr Headgasket if you must yeah right (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure we want to encourage a lot of this you
2: know he was hired to be an automotive expert and not talk about crabgrass or, or uh people's uh gingivitis yeah well
1: yeah that's uh,
2: So we got, some, we got to do some re-engineering here, I think. On behalf of
1: Jim and myself, we sure appreciate your listening. We would like to suggest that you find us on your favorite podcast program like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or any of those and subscribe. And that way you don't miss out on all of our fun episodes. You can always find us on curbside.tv where there's a car show calendar. There's these podcasts, some great stories that Jim writes and much, much more. So thank you for being with us. And, Jim, thank you.
2: My pleasure, Tony. And I hope everybody does stop by curbside.tv and reads our blogs on there. You can also check out the podcast there as well as in Apple iTunes, you can find our podcast, which we encourage you to find it there. And if you'd give us a rating, that'll really help us uh, get this thing moving a little bit. Anything you can do to help would be most appreciated. And we will see you next week here on the curbside.tv podcast. Thank you.
0: While it may sound like two miscreants in the basement of their mom's garage, it actually takes a village to put this on. And we've got those village people. Emissions testing by Justin Hale. Hair care provided by Hedda Harrigan security provided by barbed wire we'd like to thank wendy dewitt the queen of boogie woogie and kirk harwood for our music oh and you clowns still owe me for last week even if i wasn't here now go get something productive done that honeydew list isn't getting any shorter